Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you are joining us. We believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, to really dig in and understand the context and the culture that the book was written in, so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we are going through the book of 1 Corinthians, and today's episode, is chapter three. It's time to mature. Well, I don't know about you guys, but this book has been just screaming at me in so many different areas, and it's really challenging me. And I um, told my study group, um, or actually I told a young adult small group that I was in this week that um, even this week, um, and newly and I, after processing this, um, what the Lord was showing me in this, uh, a few minutes later, I looked over and saw something that I wanted that was very expensive and uh, nearly goes, okay, Corinthian. Um, but it, all joking aside, um, and he, w- he was joking, like, but that the fact that I was just knee deep in this chapter with him and then the next thing I know, my flesh is like, oh, look at that. I want that. Um, anyway, um, it is true, though. The more I go through this, the more I think, my goodness, not only is our culture so Corinthian, but I have a lot of that within me. And so really that is the um, the beautiful thing about going through this is that whole, the Holy Spirit is revealing things in me and hopefully I'm allowing and yielding to him so that he is able to remove that and to give me more spiritual eyes than fleshly, worldly eyes. And so it's the challenge. So some of the things that I'm going to hit on, and I say this from even chapter one, is not that I'm just sitting back looking and going, oh, um, you know, people that do ministry this way, they're, you know, they've just missed it completely. This is a lot of God taking the world out of me and, and, and purifying um, what I'm putting my hands to. And so I am just hoping that through things that he's showing me personally, I can share that with y'all too, because we need to have eyes open to see, um, how, how we can look just like the world too. And, um, and, and we want to be our, our job on this earth is to be image bearers. And are we bearing the image of the culture? Or are we bearing the image of him? So lots to talk about today. This entire chapter is on maturity. Um, just to review, remember Corinth um, is an extremely worldly pagan society that, um, you know, a lot of the scholars say much like a combination of Vegas, Hollywood, and probably New York City. Um, that there was a philosopher that even coined the term Corinthiazo, I forget, um, already, but it meant to anyone living in the Roman world, you're acting like a, um, a Corinthian, which would have meant that you were being extremely sexually um, promiscuous. So <clears throat> this church, this poor little church, and you got to think about this, they, all they know is worldliness. And then all of a sudden Paul shows up in their town and, and, and preaches Christ crucified. And the Holy Spirit does a work, opens their hearts, opens their minds, and they do receive it. But after 18 months, he leaves. And they really just like, we all do. We fall back on what we know. That's exactly what 
God was doing with the children of Israel after he'd taken them out of Egypt. Because this generation, that's all they knew was Egypt. It wasn't like they were only there for a few years. All, this generation, all they knew was Egypt. And so for that 40 years um, of wandering in the wilderness, he was having to take Egypt out of them. I mean, gosh, Moses is on the the um, Mount Sinai, and, and they don't like how long he's been gone. So immediately they're like, oh, let's create... Um, let's take all of our gold and make a golden calf and worship this God the Egyptian way. And that's something very important is we don't get to just worship our God how we think in our own human minds he should be worshipped. He has a very specific way he wants to be worshipped, and so that's what it's all about. So let's get started. I'm going to open up by reading the first little few verses in chapter 3. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, because you were not ready for it. In fact, you still are not ready, because you are still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are you not fleshly and living like unbelievers? For whoever, for whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, and another says, I'm with, with, Paul, I'm with Apollos, are you not unspiritual people? This whole entire thing is for him to say, hey, um, Corinthians, wake up. You are not growing. You are not growing in your faith. You are staying stagnant, and you are staying like little babies. And so one of the things that um, we learn right off the bat are that there are two types or two kinds of saved people. There's the mature. The mature are spirit-led. That's so important. And my prayer this morning, it really gets inside of us. We can know this here. Oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be spirit-led. But we need to actually operate in it and be aware when we're not operating in it. So mature people are spirit-led, word-fed. Spirit-led and word-fed. Carnal, as he calls the Corinthians, are Christians, but they are living for fleshly things. They are living in a very material world and chasing after the things that the world offers. Um, one of the things that we know from scripture is that there is this point in our lives where we decide if we want to follow Jesus or if we want to live for ourselves. And we call that salvation. So it's when we decide, okay, God, no more doing things in the order that I have said, but now I will study your word, I will follow you, and I will do things in your order. But a lot of times, as Christians, we make that proclamation, but then we see no change. There is churches all over that have people that just stopped there in the process and I love how Newly always explains to people this is just the beginning that's just step one um, you are saved your soul is saved um, or only God can judge the heart and so if, if a person truly believes in Jesus they are saved but then our next step is to allow God to sanctify us and this takes a lifetime here on earth it will take the rest of our lives for him to just start taking the worldly things out of us and making us look more like him. That is called sanctification. So the mature people are the people that have allowed sanctification to take place. Are they perfect? No, because they still have a long way to go, but they've started the journey. And the carnal people, they're the people that have just stopped at salvation. They have, that there really isn't a lot that has changed about them. He goes in to say, hey, I, I gave you milk and I'd like to give you meat, but you're not ready for it, basically. And my, my thought in that is I'm also going through Acts with our um, 
Sunday morning group and we are talking, um, we're at the part, I think it's Acts 16, where Paul and Barnabas decide, hey, let's go and backtrack and revisit all these churches that we planted on missionary trip number one. And it's when Paul and Barnabas actually split ways because of um, John Mark. And Paul ends up going back to Iconium and that area. And when he gets there, Timothy has grown so much in the faith that he wants to take Timothy with him. Like, oh, you're not going to stay in this area. You're going to come with me. I'm going to begin to disciple you because you're going to be my right-hand man. It, it, I don't really know how long had gone by, but Timothy took full advantage of his newfound belief and he dove in and he studied and he changed. And when Paul returned back, he saw that change. Well, when Paul returns, or actually he's not returning back to the Corinthians, words getting back to him, that change is not happening. And so I love how um, Wearsby explained this whole milk and meat thing because what we tend to typically be told is like, you know, the, the milk is the easy little things to understand in God's word and the meat is the deeper things. But I'm really interested in what Wearsby has to say about it. He says that the milk are the things Jesus did on earth. It's the Bible stories. It's the gospel the things Jesus did while on earth is the milk. The meat are the things that he's doing in heaven. Meaning right now, what is God calling the Corinthians to do? They might know the stories that they've heard while Jesus is on earth, but what we have to get to a point where we go beyond that, take those stories, apply it to our lives and say, now what Jesus, Holy Spirit, lead me to do these same things. And so I'm going to say this again because it's so interesting and it really is the foundation of where we're going today. The milk are the things that Jesus did on earth, like the Bible stories. The meat is knowing what he is doing in heaven. This is more of the doctrines. The proof text is um, also, he talks about this, or the author does, um, in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. And this is what it says. The, um, and I thought so, it was so interesting. Those whose senses have been trained, he's talking about people who are, who are walking in the spirit and are ready for the meat, who have moved past the milk. I'm sorry, I did not set that up properly. But, but for those people who have moved past milk and onto meat, those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. This kind of stopped me in my tracks because this, um, I would say in this season, this, um, this the past few months, the Lord really has been speaking to me about how he speaks to us and how he moves through us. And this might not be rocket science to you, but you know, whenever like, you know something and that can make sense, but then it's like all of a sudden, you know, something like deeper understanding bells and whistles go off and you're like, Oh, like I knew it, but now I know it. Um, and, and that really has been what the Lord has been speaking to me. There wasn't even really a scripture. And now I'm like, oh, yes, okay. See, now it's backed up by scripture. Um, is that our, we were given our five senses because we are a body made up of flesh. And then we are also made up of soul and spirit. So it's like we are, I, I don't know if this is scientific, but we are like one third body and one third soul, one third spirit. And here's the crazy thing. This body that we're in is going to die, but our soul and spirit will go on through eternity. It's the one, it's the two thirds of us that will last forever. This thing, the shell that I'm in, it is going to die and it's going to turn back into earth. So why do we spend 
so much time focusing in on the shell and far less time we're focusing in on the soul and spirit. And so I, I've really just been aware that all of these senses, the five senses that God gave me is how a human fleshly person can commune with a spiritual creator, God. And it's been very like, ah, oh, that's how Satan distracts us. He, our senses are overstimulated by music and sound and feel like, I mean, you can just think of all of the things that our world has to offer. It's to overstimulate our senses so that we cannot hear from God. You think about the Bible and these, these people like Noah who gets instructions to build an ark, something he's never even seen before, something so massive, and he gets exact um, dimensions and exact wood that he's supposed to use and all of these things. And there are so many men in history, you know, Moses getting instructions from God, the law. And, and it's like, how did they hear so clearly? Well, I don't think we'll ever understand because our senses are constantly on overload in our culture. And so when I read this, I was like, what? Those that have matured, those that can eat the meat, they are the ones whose senses have been trained. So since that's something that we have to train ourselves to do. It's not just something that we say, God, open my senses that I can hear you. We have to train ourselves to use our senses for spiritual things and not things of the flesh. And those people are the ones to, to distinguish between good and evil. Guys, um, not to be that crazy person, but I guess I'm going to be that crazy person because God's called me. Jesus is coming. This is a good and exciting thing. We are living in end times. And when I say that, Jesus said it. Jesus told the people that were in front of him that these are the end times. Yes, it's been 2,000 years, but this very well likely could come to a culmination and an end in our lifetime, which I believe it is. And if I'm wrong, oh, well, I'm living as if it is. But in these last days, we are going to have to distinguish between good and evil because there is so much out there that is going to lead us astray. The apostles warn of false prophets, but I'm listening to the technology of AI right now. Right now, somebody just wrote a program. I think it spent they spent $400 to write it, and it can create false narratives at the speed of light. It can produce pictures. It can produce news um, anchors and it is crazy how that it can just paint a false narrative and then it's constantly producing things online to back it up. The people, the, whoever invented it was to show you how dangerous this stuff is. And so who's to, we are going to be shown things that we are going to see with our all five senses and we're going to believe it's true and it is going to lead us astray. And only those who have trained their senses to hear from the Holy Spirit will be able to distinguish from good and evil. So sorry about this soapbox, but not sorry. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, hey, it is time to move beyond the flesh and into the spirit. We have to walk in the spirit and it takes training. And so this is a wake up call for them. And it is also a wake up call for us. They, um, the Corinthians had not developed their spiritual eyes. They were seeing the world and thinking about all of the things that it had to offer. Let me see. Um, in this, I also wanted to mention, I thought this was so interesting. I found it in notes, and I didn't even write. This was constable or enduring word, I guess. But it said, um, 
whoever the brilliant pastor was, said it is important that we preach the gospel to the lost. I mean, that's true, and I think that's something that the American church has grasped, that we need to teach the gospel to the lost. But we cannot forget to also interpret the gospel to the saved. This is important that we interpret the gospel so that we can all move in that sanctification so that we can understand the process that God wants us to go through so that we can build our spiritual eyes. It's basically um, when we're interpreting the gospel to the saved, we are explaining to them on how to grow and mature. And Paul does a great job of setting this up. He goes on to say that they are still fleshly. And then he gives a proof, like, let me show you how you are fleshly. Since envy and strife are among you, are you not fleshly and living just like the unbelievers? Now, this is a big thing. I feel like out of all the things that Paul could point out in Corinth um, about sexual immorality and evidently the divorce rate and, and the things that we're going to get to in future chapters, he points out envy and strife. And that should be a clue to us of how destructive and how despicable it is in the eyes of God. Now, I thought that this was interesting. Strife means quarreling, fighting. Okay, that's easy to understand. Envy is a little bit harder, I think, for us to grasp. And I want to give y'all an example of what it means. Basically, it's it's more like rivalry. So um, two weeks ago, um, one of the study partners, um, one of my study partners was sharing um, chapter two with us, and she stopped in the middle of something and said, hey, I'm going to play a clip from Priscilla Shire, Shire. And, I mean, I just sat there and thought, oh, to have her gift, to have her gift to articulate and communicate the gospel is just amazing. Now, that really is not what envious is. Like, oh, I want her. Like, I admire that gift in her, but I don't see her as a rival. That is where... Paul is talking to them. These are, you know, the society where the, the philosophers would come in and try to build an audience and try to wow people and build the following and do all that with their words. And Paul's already established, no, 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 no. This is, we've got to be spirit led, not using all of the arts of speech to woo someone. We've got to just speak the gospel in plain, simple terms and let the Holy Spirit move. But the, in this world, there was rivalry because you are trying to impress you are trying to impress the people more than the next person. And we see the rivalry in the church and the people have done this. It wasn't Apollos and Paul and Peter. It was the people bragging on how they follow the, the, the smartest philosophers, basically what they're saying. So this word rivalry is basically in the sense of, oh, I, I recognize this gift in someone and it's like my gift and what if they get more people than me? And so let me start doing all of these things so that I can be a better communicator and get a bigger audience than, than that person next to me. And he's saying that, that breaks down the body of Christ. And I see this probably, well, maybe because I am a woman. I was going to say, I feel like I see this among women more than men, but I am a woman, so maybe I hear these stories more. But I can tell you a personal um life example that I've walked through in this. Um, there is a woman, a local woman pastor. Um, her name's Gigi and she tunes in. So Gigi, if you hear, I'm talking about you this morning and being with her. I mean, I don't even know. We, she invited me to her church to speak at a women's thing before we formally met. And, um, I've had the privilege since then to do several things with her. And she's even, you know, we've met for coffee and being around her is so filling. She's a pastor's wife 
And um, one, just when anyone appreciates your gift and pours into you, that feels good. And um, really just I think that she's ahead of me on this journey. She's been in ministry longer. Her kids are older than my kids. And so I look to her like, oh, this is a woman that I can learn from. She's run the race a little bit longer and the wisdom that she has. And really just her and her husband, I think the way to describe them is just jolly. <laughs> they're just, you know, that that they're just happy people. They love people. They do a lot of fun things. They do a lot for the community. And it's just refreshing to be around her and um so I, I think that's a beautiful thing like she really has come alongside and said hey I'm in ministry you're in ministry let's lock arms and let's partner together in fact I will be doing something with her in February um there has been other instances and not really that often but um I can speak of one years ago um, we met um a pastor couple and the wife introduced herself and she um, let me know that she knew who I was and what ministry I did. And while her words were appropriate, <laughs> while the whole um, the whole experience with her, I felt this tension. Um, it was something I'd never experienced before, and I couldn't really put my finger on it. But I was like, "Wow, that was there was something weird here." And then in the years to come, it came. It, it really proved that really she was not for me that she was against me but I never really could understand why she was against me and um you know several people in my life um that really that I, I admire and like hey you have permission to speak in my life that they, that they could see you know would, would bring up this word envy and I'm like I don't think that she's jealous of my gift but I really as I studied this I think that's what it was it was a rivalry she had a gift and my gift was similar and she had her own things to work out where she wanted to elevate herself and put me down. And then that opened a whole door for me to have to walk through some things that the Holy Spirit revealed in me because then, you know, like bitterness and, and all this ugly stuff is rising up in me because like, why can't we get along? Why can't we lock arms? Why can't we work together? Your gift is amazing. And again, I would love to learn from you. And um, that, that sent me on a journey of, oh, God, my heart is black. I don't, you know, now I have a fence, and I'm going to have to um, work this out. So anyway, that is the rivalry that is going on here. It is people fighting um, over over gifts and almost wanting to diminish, like, oh, I follow Apollos. Oh, you follow Peter? Well, he's not as smart and as good as an orator. And there's all of this pride. It's just pride when we all need to work together. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, I think, on the next page. Um, so it is possible to have the Holy Spirit, but to not be walking in the Spirit. And we need to stop and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us if this is what we're doing in certain areas of our lives. So he goes on to say, what is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you've believed and each has the role the Lord has given them. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. This is interesting here because he's basically saying, like, what are we? We are nobodies. We are just the deliverers. It's God. But the term he uses here, well, first of all, he mentions Apollos first. And I think that's interesting. I couldn't find commentary on it. But the way that this world works in this culture, it's the leader that is going to be listed first. And you can even see that in scripture where Barnabas and Paul go through the beginning of the book of Acts. And then all of a sudden it's 
um, it's Barnabas and Paul, and then it flips, and it's Paul and Barnabas because he's really risen up in seniority and is the leader. Um, well, here he writes, who's Apollo, who is Paul? And I think this is just humility that Paul's like, it doesn't even matter about the pecking order. Neither one of us are anything. I'll even put Apollo's first in this. But this word servants, he said, we are just servants. And this wasn't the typical term that he used for servants, which meant deacon. These are the, like the men and women of the church that, that, that serve all the other people and their needs. Um, he uses a term that means under rower on a big ship. So basically the under rowers were never seen by the people on the ship and they were to really question no one. They are supposed to do their job. It was hard work and they had to answer to the person that gave them the instructions on when to row and they had to row in unity for the ship to get to where it was going. And so he is saying, who are we? We're nothing more than under rowers that shouldn't even be seen. It should just be Jesus that is seen, that is known, that is magnified. We just listen to our master's orders and we row in unison. And then he goes on and use some agricultural terms, which Corinth was rich in so that they could understand this process. And he's talking about their functions. And he says, For example, I plant the seed, Apollos comes behind me and waters, but it's God that grows. And it got me thinking of um, going to Carabas. I love Carabas, and one of my favorite parts is the bread, and you dip it in the olive oil with all the spices. And my husband loves it too. So when we're, we're, you know, tearing into that bread, we never stop and go, I wonder who planted that seed. Oh, thank goodness for that so-and-so who watered it no we just think Carabas has awesome bread Carabas gets the name of it they are the ones that that produce it into the bread and so he's it's the exact same example like who who cares that Paul planted the seed and Apollos watered it's God that grew it it's God's kingdom that's who our eyes need to be focused on he goes on to say that they are they are really of no purpose ex- no 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 they are of one purpose not no purpose but they are no ones but they are working together for one purpose and he goes on to say and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor we're going to touch we're going to get back to that in a minute i want that to um, stick out to us okay so verses <coughs> 8 and 9 I'm going to read this. Okay. Now the one planting and the one watering are one one purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That's the part we'll get back to. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field. He just talked in agricultural terms. God's building. Now he's talking in architectural terms. Um, um, According to the um, God's grace that was given to me, this is Paul talking, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another is going to build on it. So now he shifts to agricultural terms and he said, hey, I'm a master architect. Not that he was saying this boastful, but my gosh, he was born into this Pharisee family and he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, highly, highly trained and then had the top mentor of his life. So he's saying like, I was just, this, this is what God's called me to do. I'm the person that lays the foundation. Someone's going to come behind me and build, but to each one must be careful on how he builds on it. No one can lay a foundation other than 
what has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful with how we build. You and I, in the kingdom, in our kingdom work, we have to be careful with how we build. It has to be built on Jesus and the gospel. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each one's work. Okay, let's say, let's stop here and talk about what he's happening what is happening here. He's saying that when we come to build on that foundation, we need to be careful with what materials we use. We can use gold or silver, costly stones, okay, the right things. Or we can use wood or hay or straw, things that will burn up quickly. And he, he warns them about the day. On the day, we will know what people use. That day is judgment day. And that kind of sounds scary, but this is a good and exciting thing. Because guess what? As sinner, Now, this is not a good and exciting thing for, for sinners. Uh, I mean, not for sinners, but for people who have not accepted Jesus. But um, for, uh, for ju this judgment day for believers, it is... A time not when God is going to call out our sin. That has already been dealt with. It has been nailed to the cross. It is done. But judgment day is the day where we stand before God and he takes a look at all that we did with the gifts that he has given us. He's given me gifts. He's given you gifts. And he's saying, did you steward the talents well or did you use them for your own earthly gain? And so there are many people out there that, that do. They get so lost in this world, not lost as a, in their soul, but like caught up in the world that they will take that talent of maybe they're a great speaker or a great writer or their brain just thinks entrepreneurially. They will take that gift and they will just go full force into the world to, to use that for their own selfish gain. There are other people that have kingdom in mind but somehow they have discovered that their gifts can build a, a platform, an audience, and they begin to build a kingdom for themselves. And so what happens is on that day, all that we have done will be laid out in front of the Lord and he will put fire underneath it. And it will expose that if we did this with fleshly motives or if we did it by walking in the spirit out of obedience. And so this is really something that I believe that there was a season of my life that those things will burn up because I needed, I needed human affirmation so bad. And I think that it's not like I was um, doing things like I was not compromising my beliefs, but I was doing these things because it felt so good for me. Like, Oh, look, I'm able to help these people. And this feels so good. And people are emailing me and people are saying all of these things. And, Ooh, let me do it more because I like this feeling that I'm getting. And I do have this sadness that all of those years, there are going to be things that just burn up because the Lord is going to say, well, maybe I didn't tell you to do those things. And although it brought fruit into the kingdom, you already got your reward. You already got your attaboy. And so it's going to burn up. We want to be spirit led where the things that we do, the Holy Spirit told us to do them. And it is for the kingdom and, and our name. It, it is not at all to build our name. And those are going to be the things that were built out of gold and silver and costly stones that, that you know what happens after that? It, it, um, the Apostle Paul explains like we're going to get this crown. Like he's speaking in terms of um, 
the, these people that, you know, like the Olympian games were so big and where they live in Corinth, the Isthmian games, I cannot say that word, but they are very familiar with people running races and then the, the winners getting this laurel wreath and he's saying hey that is what it's going to be like on this day when the fire comes and our stones withstand we are going to get crowns to carry into eternity and it's not so that we walk around and go look at my crown look what i did for the kingdom no 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 we're going to get to throw those as an offering at the feet of jesus and so that is going to be something very important that is what he's talking about here it kind of sounds you know, it's kind of hard to understand and read, but he, I love how he says here that the things that we do in our flesh, it will be lost, but we will be saved. It's not like you're not going to lose your salvation over this. You still get to go into eternity. You're just going to have less crowns. Don't, your, um, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary, sanctuary and that the spirit of God lives in you? So we are the church. Like he no longer resides in the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That thing has been leveled and destroyed. Now, after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And then collectively, the believers get together and worship. And those believers are called a church. And so that is the temple he's talking about. He's not talking about personally, I am the temple of the living God and you are the temple of the living God. He's saying when you come together collectively and you are the bride of Christ, that's who he's addressing. If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him for God's sanctuary is holy and that is what you are. So he's addressing this quarreling, this arguing, and this envy that is really a rivalry. He's saying that is destroying my bride and I will destroy you. A firm, firm, firm warning I do want to uh, mention something here in this the, the the bride of Christ remember we talked heavily that the that the bride can meet at different locations it's God's church at different locations and it's not the location that should be elevated and that does not matter so within the location I believe that the Lord sends a particular group of people. Really, the church, the church is for the group of believers to come together for a holy huddle <laughs> so that they can go out and do the work of the ministry during the week. And if lost people are there and they get saved, yay. But if you look in the book of Acts, this is what the, 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 the gathering on um, the weekend was about. So, I believe that God sends certain locations, particular people for the unique purpose of that location. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to give Bible nerds. I'll just, Bible nerds isn't a church, but it is a ministry building the kingdom. And I believe I didn't go out and handpick who I wanted. I gave that to the Holy Spirit and he handpicked my team for me. And because I, I mean, honestly, I, he just did a much better job than I could have ever done. And everyone on my team has different gifts and there's no room for rivalry. So I have several people on my team that are gifted writers and um, we are going to be celebrating one of them very soon because she has written the very first Bible study that Bible nerds will um, endorse. And it's like one of our team members. And what if, 
what if some of the other writers on my team got jealous because all of a sudden, you know, the attention goes to this Bible study and they start working against each other. That would break the ministry of Bible nerds down. We are a team that all of us support each other. And I see even in the, the gift of writing, every writer is different where one will really write into the depths of theological things that that is not for everyone. There's going to be a lot that goes over the head, but to intellectual people, she speaks right to their heart. There's um, one that is just funny and lighthearted and she takes um, just little funny um, stories of our life and then she applies deep truths of God to make it easily understandable to all people. There's another one that just writes from um, past experiences in her life and from uh, the side of victory and how the Holy Spirit has changed her. So like each one has their own style. And guess what? When those go forth and those go out, each one of those is going to affect different people or maybe even the same person in a different way. All those gifts are obviously needed because God brought those women to the table. He's also brought different gifts. And so as ministry leaders, it is our job to look out into the audience and say, okay, what gifts did God send me? And then that is what walking by the spirit is. We might, as a leader of an organization, have our own agenda and have our own direction. And when that happens, you don't use any of the gifts that God has right in front of you. You'll have to go out and look Look for people to, to fulfill the gift that you want to accomplish. But when you're spirit-led, you look and you see God already has certain gifts. And, oh, wow, maybe I didn't even want to move in that direction, but there's three writers on my team. So that's the direction we're going to go in. And then you get to watch the Holy Spirit do his work and everything unfold. Um, there might be even some gifts that we're not even aware of that we need, but they build the body of Christ. Just last week we had in our meeting, one of uh, my friends that has a gift of just really prophecy. She spoke a word to the whole group, but then part of that word was for someone individually on our team. And it was kind of a hard word for that team member to swallow, but she did ask because I have no idea what you're talking about because it was a little bit of something that this person needed to pull back on. And that person said, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm going to be open to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask him to reveal that to me. That night, it was revealed to her in such a way that just it, she was so thankful for that word that Danielle had given her that day because she was able to receive what somebody was telling her later that evening. And so all that did was build our team to be a stronger, more co coherent team that trusts one another and that can remove things from our lives and adjust as the Holy Spirit has accordingly. If, if Danielle wouldn't have given that word, and I think that she was like, oh, this is a little intimidating to say, then we would not have been a stronger team for it. So the, these gifts, all of these gifts, even though some might look similar, they all fit together in a beautiful puzzle piece that we don't need rivalry. They fit together to make us stronger. Maybe that person that you're so jealous of their gift, maybe they are there to actually strengthen your gift. And so there's just no place for rivalry. We're going to wrap up now. Um, making sure um, I've got everything in my notes, everything that I've said. Okay, so in conclusion, he says, no one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish. Um, again, the foolish things. As Christians, we, we look at lost people that are in maybe government places or they have these platforms and they, they 
are speaking their truth and we're just shaking our head going, how can you even rationalize that? It's because our the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, it's so polar opposite. It is so polar opposite that neither one of us are going to understand each other unless the Holy Spirit moves on their hearts. And so he's saying, if you think you're wise, you've got to become foolish if you're ever going to understand spiritual things. For the, um, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. So now he's taken an opposite approach that he did in the first chapter. In the first chapter, he said that people are not going to understand Christ crucified. It's going to be foolish, foolish things for them to hear unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. Now he flips that and says, in return, their foolish ways of thinking are, I mean, their, their wise ways of thinking is foolishness to God. We've got to turn from worldly thinking to spiritual thinking. The Zondervan Illustrated Bible Background Commentary said, the deception of the church comes not from outside, but from within. This is a problem within the church in Corinth, that they have allowed worldliness to come in and to um, control the way they think. And all Paul is saying is we've got to turn to the spirit. We've got to start thinking spiritually. And so, um, again, he's flipped this and said the foolish things um, that are things that are foolish um, to the world are really wise spiritually, and the things that the world sees as wise is foolishness to God. And then he ends up reminding them that no one should boast in their leaders. Um, whether it's Paul or Paulus or Cephas, and then he goes on to say opposite things, whether it's the world or... Um, life or death or things of the present are things to come. Everything, everything, the deliverers of God's word and everything in this world comes from God. Who are we to boast in the gifts that God has given them? Those are a gift that we had no control of. And so let's not boast in ourselves, but let's boast in the gift giver. And everything belongs to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I'll close with this. Dr. Constable says the Corinthians were only limiting God's blessing on them by rejecting the good gifts, by not appreciating all of the people that God had sent them to help. Instead of going, oh, I, I love Apollos and I can just really connect with him. But my goodness, Paul's bringing a lot to the table. Cephas is bringing a lot to the head table. And just between me and my time with God, the Holy Spirit's revealing stuff to me. And so it's all making me a better person. They are rejecting the blessings from God. Let's not be like the Corinthians. Let's be a people who walk in the spirit, who walk in unity, who appreciate all of the beautiful gifts from God, and we will be better for it. I will see you next week. This has been a fun adventure. Thanks for coming on along with me. Happy reading. <laughs>